Welcome to episode 48 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, a special end of season or end of regular season edition of the NBA podcast. And Daz, I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. Darren, what are, you, what are your thoughts looking back on the regular season? I mean, I was thinking about this before, not the greatest season for either my Spurs or your Bucks, but it was still an enjoyable regular season for me. How did you sort of rate it from your end? I think it was a lot more fun than last year. I'll be honest. Remember, last year was the had that just that air inevitability, didn't it? And it had the the two man MVP race. And yeah, last year last year just didn't have the drama for me like this year. So the last day of the regular season had all the you know the the tanking happening and the uh, um, yeah, just I guess the seeding drama. And then I think this season will be defined by right the upstart Rockets. The crazy, amazing coaches who've had teams like Indiana and Toronto and Philadelphia kind of coming out of out of nowhere. We had this ridiculous rookie class where I think we probably safely say at least a, probably there's a, probably a small handful of guys that would, would have won the award last year over Brogdon. Um, so the rookies have been spectacular, and yeah, I guess we've had the. I'm probably the thing I'm I'm glad that doesn't exist is the or maybe it still exists, but it's a little bit more muted as the, you know, the West is best, the East is least. There's no question, right? I think obviously the top two teams in the league are, are still uh, Houston and Golden State, but the bottom of the West is, is absolute, you know, garbage. And I'd say the middle of the East has been pretty, actually been pretty competitive this year. So um, I think the East made some strides. It's still, it's still a couple steps behind the West, no question about it. But um so yeah, so the you know the East versus West has kind of gotten even, but then it seems like I'd have to I haven't checked my data, but it doesn't seem like we've had a lot more stars getting injured this year than in years past. Obviously, the season beginning with Gordon Hayward and you know continuing on to to Boogie and and Zinger, two devastating injuries for those guys, and and then big names you know like uh, you know Paul Millsap missed a huge amount of time. And shockingly, you know, Gallinari got hurt this year, which no mm. one could really believe. No one could say Blake, that. Blake Griffin missed 20 games again, which you just, you know, just, <laughs> you know. Um, but in, anyway, I, I don't mean to jest, right? The, the Warriors have been hurt by injuries. Marcus Smart's gone, Roberson, et cetera. So Jimmy Butler missed significant time. There's a guy in San Antonio that's missed a few games. Too. Kawhi, yeah, who's half injured, half half playing, you know, a, a game of brinksmanship there against the uh, the, the front office. So, but I think that's the thing, yeah, I so mean, it's, it has been about the unpredictability of this season and the twists and turns that we probably didn't get this last season. It was pretty much, we thought, it's going to be Golden State and Cleveland. You're probably going to have, you know, San Antonio, Houston playing off for that spot in the Western Conference Finals, and that's exactly how it sort of played out. Whereas this year... We've had Utah go up and down. We've had Portland go up and down. We've had Minnesota go up and down. Like there's so many teams, particularly in the Western Conference, that have been up yeah. there. And then you've had surprising stories in, in Indiana and Philadelphia in the oh, East that we Indian didn't see. Philly coming. going up. Charlotte probably, you know, we probably had higher hopes for. I think I probably had Charlotte and Detroit in the playoffs at the beginning of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we and both we had, did, yeah. Yeah, and Washington is absolutely coming apart of the seams. I told you we got to go back about 10 episodes. I go, they were in January when I saw them play those two games against the Bucks. I'm like, I could tell that team was coming unglued and they've come unglued and 
been the opposite round with, with we already mentioned Philly and Indiana. So look, it's been a, I, I've had, um, I've had a lot more fun this season. I'll be honest, even with all the, the Bucks stress I've gone through, this has been a far more compelling on the most, most nights of the week league pass had something interesting happening. So for me, from beginning to end, this was a lot more, a lot more interesting, um, a lot more interesting this season. So might we not get the best basketball here in the playoffs with all the injuries? You know, obviously Boston is crippled. Literally, they're probably their two best players. You know, are going to miss the playoffs. So it's you know you don't love to see the you know the best teams you know hurt, lose their stars by any stretch, but certainly going to create more drama and a lot more interest in Vegas. I bet. Mm. So um, yeah, it's a really fun season. Well, before but I'm, we. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the playoffs. I'll yeah, tell be- you what. before we break down the play, so we're going to do a two-parter tonight. The first part is going to be about the end-of-season awards. Uh, we're going to look at MVP, first team, second team, third team, all NBA, defensive player, coach of the year, rookie of the year. Uh, if you want to look at most improved six-man, we can have a quick discussion about that, although I think they're pretty straightforward, th- those awards for this season. Uh, so the first one we'll talk about, though, Daz, is MVP. <clears throat> now, I think... It's it's pretty clear James Harden's going to win the award. I actually think he's going to be pretty close to unanimous, if not unanimous. Uh, the mo- I, I've not read an argument really for anyone else at this stage, even though I understand the arguments for other players. But I know you're not on the James Harden bandwagon, Daz, and you, you were last year, but this year you're, you're vehemently opposed to James Harden. Um, you're going with LeBron James. Uh, I've got the the spreadsheet ahead of me. So I'll just quickly run through your top five and then go to my top five and then more we'll, because the, the five players are the same. There's a little bit of difference in the order between the both of us and I'll let you make your LeBron James argument. So you've got LeBron first, James Harden second, Giannis third, uh, Anthony Davis fourth, and Lillard fifth. Uh, I've gone with Harden first, LeBron second, Davis third, Lillard fourth, and Giannis fifth. So... I'll throw to you first. I mean, make your argument for LeBron. What, what what sort of elevates him? Do you think to MVP ahead of James Harden this season? Yeah, look. Let me be clear. It's um, it's for me. It's LeBron and Harden, and then there's a gap, right, to the to the rest. So I think that's a two. It was a definitely two man race for me this year. I think that's probably pretty clear amongst anyone who's voting. And I'll be honest. I, I you know I put Giannis number three. Um, that's more of just very emotional. If you made an argument that Lillard was three or Embiid was three or Oladipo or AD, I wouldn't push back. So for me, there's a lot of, we're literally hair splitting between Giannis and AD, Lillard, Embiid, Oladipo um, at that, at that sort of, you know, beneath one and two. So, mm. um, so for me, for me, a couple things, not much more than a couple things that have jumped out. I'm probably more surprised by the unanimity unanimity than anything like i get the case right the highest scoring player on the best team in the league that's not a complicated formula to follow right and add to it right the you know he lost by a pretty narrow margin last year didn't he he was runner up to well he's lost twice by a narrow margin he wants to Steph and wants to russ yeah and so i I think that's my most i'm sent my my sense is that the highest scoring player on a dynamic team with the best record in the league um, who also has been close in recent years. And so I think there's a long, there's a narrative there, right? Um, Which uh, I don't mind some narrative. I don't, you know, it doesn't mean 
a storyline can't transcend. We're humans. This is basketball. We can we can make you know this isn't a science project. So I don't I don't mind that. But so I guess I've just been surprised that more people don't see what I see, which is the I guess just the eye test. And LeBron is still LeBron. LeBron at his age, playing 82 games, um, and um, doing what he does with a I guess for me the second thing is the probably most compelling is if you look at the degree of difficulty from the season that LeBron has put together to drag that team to 51 wins. When you look at the turmoil of getting Kyrie jettisoned with starting the season with Derek Rose and D Wade, you know, playing heavy minutes in his backcourt to then it coming back and Isaiah Thomas became a cancer in the locker room and on the court to the team getting blown up again. So later, like he's had his third team within the season, you know, bringing in Hill and hood and the rest of it all the while, you know, he's got, you know, a baby coach and Ty Lue and, and Kevin Love being gone for two and a half, three months. I go the degree of difficulty and the turmoil that he's endured compared to the, the healthiest team in the league, the Houston Rockets, number one, who brought in, what, number two, they brought in uh, a Hall of Fame point guard who's going to get MVP votes himself with Chris Paul. So, and of course, the stability they've had in the front office. But can I stop you there for a second? The the degree of difficulty to do what? To put up the numbers he's put up? Because team success, they've only the fourth at best in the Eastern Conference. It's not like they've been on a tear. That's right. Well, wins and losses are a team metric last time I checked. The, Cle- the LeBron Jameses aren't in fourth. But where's see. his degree of difficulty? I mean, in some ways, what you're arguing is his degree of difficulty is less to put up, just put up numbers, because he's the only player on the team. The degree of difficulty to, to drag a, a team with that amount of turmoil to play 82 games and put the numbers up that he's had constantly surrounded by right, the likes of of Derek Rose, D. Wade, Jose Calderon, fill in the blanks. They go juxtapose. Imagine James Bleep and Harden surrounded by Derek Rose, D. Wade, and the the wing defenders with the talent of Shumpert, Corver, and J.R. Smith instead of P.J. Tucker, Chris Paul, and Luke Richard, Baamute. So you're making Trevor. the argument, the Russell Westbrook argument from last year for LeBron this I'm not, year. I'm not, I'm, you're putting words in my mouth. You're asking me the <laughs> argument for LeBron James. I'm saying suddenly the argument for James Harden has got some isometrics and, oh, he's suddenly a, uh, quote, a really good post defender. That's the argument I keep hearing. And you go, yeah, guess what? I'd be a fucking good post defender too if I had Ariza, Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, Lermam, and Clint Capella patrolling. I could stand there and lean my body up against people. So I'm more surprised, as by the narrative of look how easy it, he's had it this year. Harden has had it. I'm just, I'm just surprised at the, uh, to be blunt, laziness to say, look at what these two guys have had to, to go through. Yeah, but give, give James Harden, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, right, Iman Shumpert, Derek Rose, and D Wade, and tell me what kind of season we're going to be talking about. Right, his turnovers would have been spiked. Right, he's he's going to have he's going to be a worse player surrounded by garbage talent. So you're and saying plus, it's harder to put up numbers. With I'm LeBron supporting about, cast than it is for Harden with Harden supporting cast. Because I'm, I'm talking, trying to understand right, where I'm the degree talking, when you're saying degree of difficulty, degree of difficulty to do what? To games, to put up put up the numbers he's put up 
to play games, to right, to do everything, to, to do numerous seasons. The season is more than just points per game. That's the other thing. I go if you look at the stats, games, points, field goals, field goal percentage, rebounds, assists, turnovers, double doubles, triple doubles, PER, true shooting percentage, field goal percentage, effective field goal. Pick your metric. Right? LeBron wins 13 out of the 18 major categories. Why don't we talk about that? Right? What do we talk about? James Harden has had more free throws, more points per game, and his .3 percentage higher and three-point field goal percentage. James Harden shoots 44% from the freaking field at 36.5% usage. And I go, yeah, no kidding you scored 30 points a game. No kidding. You flip, he flails his legs, he flails his arms, he gets to the free throw line. And that's, that's what the data tells us. And I go, that's pretty easy to do, right? So I'm saying, uh, that's why I just can't, I'm more saying, I can understand the James Harden argument. He's also second in my voting. This isn't a, the Harden bashing. I'm just shocked that when you look at stats, you look at the eye test, you look at the degree of difficulty, you look at the coaching, you look at how the season has unfolded, and you, you switch the positions of those two players, and I go, my goodness, you know, Houston might have not have lost a game if LeBron is in Houston. Imagine the Cleveland team with James Harden and that bleeping cast. They've been giving up 170 points a game instead of 130. So I go, that's the thing where I go, it's impossible to disentangle, right, the, the, the team accomplishments with the individual accomplishments. They are, they're entangled. I get that. And that's what I just can't believe, that people aren't having that conversation more. Well, it's I don't how, like how much this. Of Harden's, but I don't really like this hypothetical, oh, if Harden was on Cleveland and if LeBron was on Houston argument. I, and I, I reject the degradative really argument with LeBron in the sense that I don't think they've had massive team success. So I don't think he's lifted that team, you know, above where they would probably be. I mean, obviously he's lifted them. If he wasn't there at all, they'd be terrible. But you could you could argue that about a number of teams in the league. I don't know that he's lifted the team to a massive level in terms of wins that you go due to the degree of difficulty for them to win 47 games was was off the charts. Uh, and he's put up numbers. Of course he's going to put up numbers with that supporting cast because they're terrible. And that's why I got back to the Westbrook argument of last year. Yes, he put up numbers, but really they won about the same amount of games as the Cavs won this year. So I think there are some similarities between LeBron and Westbrook. And I think the big the big data point that went against LeBron is until February, he had a negative net rating. And the, the, the reality was the Cavs, as ridiculous as it sounds, were a better team with him off the court than on the court. And that was the first time in, in his career that had happened. Uh, so I think that was a massive mark against him. And the reality was that through most of December and all of January, he was he just didn't give a shit. And he didn't play defence at all. And he was just going through the motions, waiting for a trade, doing the sort of passive-aggressive LeBron quotes off the off the court and even on the court. Uh, he was just, you know, there was a lot of games where he's mentally checked out. And I mean, we spoke about it on the pod. And I think this is the thing I'd say about Harden. I think he's been the second-best player this year, and I said this to you, but the problem is that the first best player has been a different guy every single month. So there's been a couple of periods where it's been LeBron, there's been a period where it was Lillard, there's been a period where it was Davis, there's been other guys that have had sort of hot streaks, but Harden's always been there, and he's just kept, he's maintained the same level of performance, you know, and as much as I can't stand his game and the ISO 
the nature of it, it's very effective. And the fact that he can draw fouls is very effective. And the fact that he can draw fouls on threes is effective, and it is a skill in today's game, as much as we hate watching it. And he has improved his defense, and I don't think there's any question he's played better on defense is he a better defender than LeBron James? No, and that's where I think you'd agree if well, the where, argument does where are come we going? into it. That's like, a, where are you going with that argument? He's better than the, was he the 50th well, we, percentile? Uh, Who's the 10th percentile? We're arguing MVP for this season. So he's been a better defender than LeBron this season. If that, no. was, all the data, <laughs> if that was all the data we had to go on, LeBron versus Harden on this season, LeBron's a, an awful defender. An awful defender this season. He doesn't close out... On, he doesn't. Sorry, he doesn't um, put any effort in on closeouts. He doesn't rotate on screens. He doesn't get back on transition. Go and watch the one thirty-two to one thirty debacle that was the Philadelphia game, and everyone was waxing lyrical after it. That I put up forty-four points. If he had put in a modicum of effort on defense for the first two and a half quarters in that game, they, they probably they probably win the game quite comfortably given the, the way they shot the game in the second half. So where the lazy analysis comes in is these people out there saying, well, LeBron can't play defense anymore because he's too important on the offensive end. So he's allowed to just sit there and do nothing on the defensive end and play Ole defense and just wait until they pick the ball out of the basket. Well, I totally reject that. And, I, and, and where's the data to back that up? I don't see any data that ever backs that up, and I would say the opposite is probably true. You'd rather a guy playing some defense and maybe scoring 30 points rather than 44 and actually trying to trying to stop the other team from getting to 132 points. So that's where I think LeBron lost it for me. You've got to at least, with the tools that he's got, and we know he's a capable defender, to just not, to the, the lack of care that he put in on the defensive end this year, I thought was inexcusable. And that's one thing I don't think you could you could argue against Harden. And he, he played within a team scheme. Again, I, this is where I think you'd agree if the argument holds water because LeBron's expected to do more on defense than what Harden is in that team. There's no question about that. But one guy played good defense within his role within the scheme. The other guy didn't. But that, that's how I view it. So there's the defense thing. So I just no. So I mean, I could relist all, all the stats that LeBron has outpaced Harden from games to minutes to rebounds to assists to turnovers, double doubles, triple doubles, PER, true shooting, field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, right usage, etc. I mean, he. So that's the other argument is that there's an enormous number of categories if you're just looking at the stats now, right? Harden has him on three pointers made, points per game. Uh, three-point field goal percentage, free-throw percentage, and win shares. That's it. So I go, okay. So it must be the, the, the argument is it's a 65-win team and he's the highest scorer on the team. And I go, that, that to me is lazy. And well, I, go, I think he's the best not, player like, on that team. He's not, not just deserving. the scoring young player on the team. Well, yeah, okay. Well, you're going to seriously sit here and argue he's not the best player on the Houston Rockets. Define best as I go. Is that a 65-win team without Chris Paul? Yeah, I don't know. Well, look, right, so maybe gonna... not, but go and watch the... the let's let's say, and, and you, we talked about this last year, man, having an MVP moment. So you look at what James Harden did in the Portland game. They go into Portland. Portland were on a tear at that stage. I think Portland won about 12 in a row. Lillard was, the, was at that stage making his own MVP case. 
and Harden went in there and took care of business, including scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter and completely taking over the game. So that was when, to me, it was just wrapped up. That was There was no argument after that that James Harden was the MVP. Uh, and obviously it's a season worth of... of um, a season worth of data that he's put together and then play that he's put together. But that was the moment where you just go, no, this guy is is able to take over that game because I had seen games, as you had, where it was Chris Paul sort of taking games over at the end. And I did want to see that moment from Harden and I saw it in that game. Um, so, and I'm just looking here. I mean, look, whatever, I don't know what player impact estimate is, but Harden's 19.4 to LeBron James 19.1. So... But what? All right. What, what's your what's your thinking now about this net rating stat that, that LeBron there was a negative net rating, and his team was literally better with him off the court than on the court until February, until they made those trades. I mean, do do, do you feel do you agree with me that sort of should count against him in some respects? Defies all reason. Just you're going to tell me that so why didn't he, he should have sat for all 36 minutes then? Why would you play him? Well. Because who else was on the floor? If like, a player, but if a player is yeah. this good, for a player of LeBron's stature and LeBron's ability, something's not right. If for that, and and I agree, there's obviously look, and I'd say part of that stat was games they're getting blown out, and then they go to the bench, and the other team's bench outscores their bench, and there's little little factors like that, or maybe their bench, sorry, scores outscores the other team's bench. So I'm sure there was some. You know, some manipulation of those stats from some of the blowouts they endured. But you can't tell me LeBron played hard for all those 82 games. You just, you can't make that argument. You can't tell me James Harden played hard for all his 82 games. He only played 72. Well, 72. Right? So I'm saying, so there's 10 games of effort right there. So I go, it, these, all these things add up, right? So I was there writing the sticky notes, right? I could see the, you could drive a truck between you know, the Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers in November and December. I was watching it. We had pods about it. We, go, we, just can't, we couldn't believe what was happening. And I go, of course LeBron has to own his role in that. All I'm saying is where is the acknowledgement that when you're surrounded by Derrick Rose and injured IT, you know, D. Wade and injured Kevin Love, I go, where's the, you know, where's that acknowledgement that, you know what, this is this was as – difficult a season for him in his 15-year career maybe with those some of those early years in Cleveland were as difficult for him to you know to drag a team this incapable this dysfunctional this fractured you know yeah 50 wins isn't gonna that's not setting the world on fire but I, I guess it's the I just I'm just dismayed that there's not more acknowledgement about how how easy quote-unquote James Harden had it this year with a masterful, right, masterful front office moves with PJ, LR Mam, etc., and 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 D'Antoni's right spectacular coaching this year, and their wonderful perfect health. They're literally the healthiest team in the NBA this year. So I go, yep. If that's the confluence and that's part of the, I guess the, the luck. And I look down the list of you know the top, you know our MVP getters. It's almost a shame that Curry missed so many games and. Durant had a bit of an off year, and he missed a bunch of games too. Look, he only played four fewer games in Harden, but it seems like he played a lot fewer, doesn't it? He played 68 games, but it's a shame because the, the MVP list is littered with, you know, there's one good team, Harden from Houston, LBJ on a very imperfect Cleveland team, Giannis on a completely broken Bucks team, 
AD, similarly drag an entire Fotsam and Jetson roster minus Drew Holiday the last couple months, you know, New Orleans team to 46 victories. Well, I got Lillard's on a pretty good team, but I go, that list is full of players, you know, singularly dragging their teams over the line. And I just think that should get some, that should, that should be factored into the conversation. And so when I see all the stats, Hart, LeBron wins most categories of the, of the statistics minus scoring um, and does it far more efficiently, uh, efficiently, I guess, by the, by your free throw metrics. Um, but anyway, I, I'm I'm going to stop. I'm being redundant now. So I, I, LeBron for me wins. I know I'm in the vast minority, and I'm I'm comfortable with that. I would just like to see a just more of a rounded conversation around it. And I'm just surprised that I haven't seen it and haven't heard it. Well, I think most people have said LeBron's number two, but for the reason, some of the reasons I've given and probably some extras that, that I haven't touched on, um, they're going with James Harden. But uh, I, I I sort of felt. From what I was hearing from people, a lot of people were reluctant to go with Harden because they, they're a bit like us, not not big fans of his game. But at the end of the day, I just don't think anyone sustained it for long enough. Um, and certainly there's been periods of this season where if you think if LeBron had sustained that level of intensity, that you, there would be no argument. And we'd be sitting here saying LeBron's, LeBron's ninched him out again. But I just don't... I, I can't forgive yeah. taking two months off and and a lot of the roster construction problems are really come back to LeBron anyway, and I wouldn't I don't think Harden should be penalised for the fact that he, he's in a good front office situation and a much better coaching situation etc. And I don't think you're necessarily saying that either, but I, I, I wouldn't penalise Harden for that. And I think LeBron a lot of this stuff is of his own making. If we're going to be perfectly honest, so I don't have a lot of sympathy for the guy that he had a tough a tough year and had to put up with Derek Rose because a lot of people that are probably sitting there saying, well, I had to put up with LeBron James, uh, which wasn't exactly that easy either. So, but look, as we might, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on the, on the MVP. I will be interested to see how many first place votes LeBron gets. Um, you sort of said to me the other day, you thought there might be a few. So I will be interested to see at the end of the day, how many he actually gets because the, the sense I'm getting is going to be much closer to unanimous for James Harden. Uh, the not. But let's move on now uh, to the first team NBA. So our first team all NBA was exactly the same. Uh, you had Harden as a point guard rather than a shooting guard. That was the only little little change that we had there. Uh, so it was Anthony Davis at centre, power forward Giannis, small forward LeBron, uh, shooting guard, or, or the guards were Lillard and Harden. I mean, any any sort of comments there? That 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 team seemed to pick itself. I guess Lamarcus Aldridge was the only one, only name I've heard that sort of snuck into a few teams, and that really is based on whether people view Anthony Davis as a centre or a power forward or not. And and then obviously if you view him as a power forward, you have a decision to make between Giannis and AD. But personally, I just think he's, a, even though he doesn't start as centre, he plays majority of his minutes at centre and I was happy to, to look at him in that way. Well, he didn't next to Boogie, but I kind of go, just the stupid definitions that they force you into. I just sort of, you know, I just say, do the best we can to manipulate the bloody definitions to get the fives you know, the five best players this year, right? And this was hard, right? It was hard to leave, you know, um, to leave Curry and, and CP3 and Oladipo. It was hard at the guard positions. I thought it was pretty easy between LeBron, Giannis, and AD. That's been, I don't want to say unanimous, but pretty probably close to unanimous the, at the forward and the big positions for the first team anyway. 
And Lillard, again, aside from the, the the little losing streak at the end of the year, losing their last four, they lost four of their last five. So that little swoon there at the end that cost them the three seed. But he was he was spectacular, um, certainly since the All Star break. But he was pretty consistent all year. So that's a good that's that's a win for Hillard for um Hillard <laughs> for for Lillard Harden plus Lillard right yeah so um yeah look I, it was yeah. Uh, Again, it's just it's the injuries is the only thing that's played a factor here, right? You you know Kyrie, Curry, and KD kind of fell down the charts, I think, with with injuries. So um, mm. the more interesting, I guess, is the the second team. Look, is there much to say about AD, Giannis, LeBron, Dame, and Harden? I think that, that's a pretty. I have a feeling that's going to be as that'll be easier pick than MVP, perhaps for some. Is that five? Who well, else? That, yeah. Who else do you think is sneaking in there? LMA. Well, well that, the only MB. one I've heard is LMA, maybe MB, depending on how you view Anthony Davis and whether you view him as a center or power forward. That's the only yeah, okay. snafu yeah. I've heard um, yeah. between the two. So the second team, uh, we we're both pretty similar here. They're, they're, we've got a different guard. So I've got uh, Lamarcus Aldridge as center. You've got MB as center. Uh, I've had Lamarcus Aldridge and Hawford as power forward. Jimmy Butler, we both had as uh, small forward. Uh, you had uh, Steph Curry and Chris Paul as your guards. I had Oladipo and Chris Paul. I've actually, I actually didn't pick Curry in any of my terms. I just didn't feel like he played enough games. But I've, I could be wrong on that. How many games did Curry end up playing? Fifty-one. Yeah. Yeah. That to, to me, Only that's 51. too few. That's too few. Yeah, it's just kind of look at it. I go, I, see, I didn't put... Not in such a strong class anyway. If, if we were sitting there like a Brogdon Rookie of the Year vote last year and you're a little bit scratching your head, but there's so many strong candidates in the yards, I, I just couldn't put Curry in there. Look, I'll even admit to my flawed logic, right? Because I go, um, if I were to accept that a the number of games allows him to be voted into the All-NBA teams, it therefore stands that he's a better player than Damian Lillard. And so I should have, if he's going to be on the teams, he should be on the first team. So I guess I sort of half-assed it with saying, you know what, he's only played 51 games, but he's scintillating when he plays. And so therefore he, he merits a, he merits a choice there. And so I guess if he had, you know, enormous effect on the 51 games he did play. So um, I yeah, guess I look at it a bit, a bit different. I look at it, you either consider him for it or you don't. And I didn't consider him because I just didn't. I, I, I don't know what I think. Probably sixty games is a reasonable um, spot. Yeah, to I think say. That's, that's a rule of thumb. The NBA doesn't set. There is no real rule, is there? There's not like a. There's not a standard that's set, is there? This is all. Mm. It's all subjective just on the voters, right? There's not a. There's not a. No, and that's why I, I think it should think go. So. Yeah. They should just say it's a, it's a big. You know, one big, two wings, two ball handlers, something as simple as that. And that way we're not sitting here looking and saying, oh, well, Lamarcus Aldridge played 55% of his minutes at centre and AD played 51 and do we con- what do we consider them, etc. Because I think that's, again, where we're a little bit different because I considered LMA a, a centre at the end of the day. That's where he's played the majority of his minutes. He has, for sure. Um, so yeah. I put him in as centre. You had him in as power forward, but that that allowed me to get Horford in, and Horford's had a great year as well. Uh, the Celtics and sort of flown under the radar a bit, I think Al Horford, just how good he has actually been. Um, hey, he was number six in my MVP vote, right? So he not under he's carried that team, right? Um, he's been he's been a rock. So uh, yeah, look, I used it just to try to basically fudge it a little bit, just to fit the who I thought were the most will it. So the most worthy. So we had quite a few differences though on that second team. 
Actually, no, just the one Embiid for Embiid for Horford. Embiid you had, Horford, um, and I had Oladipo instead of Curry. Uh, that's right. But we had Jimmy Butler. Both of us had Butler, even though he missed a bunch of time as well. Yeah, I thought he was... Well, more towards took, the end of the season, but he took Minnesota to another level, didn't he? I mean, that was... That would that that went as well as it could have gone. That 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 inclusion yeah. to Minnesota. Yeah. So look, he played fifty nine games, right? So he played seven more games than Curry. <laughs> well, there you right? go. So go. There goes my sixty game theory. <laughs> I was close. He's, he's close. Yeah. He's right he, there. Yeah. So yeah. So my second team: Chris Paul, Steph Curry, um, Jimmy Butler, Lamarcus, and Embiid. And you had Chris Paul, Oladipo, Jimmy Butler, Horford, and LMA. Yeah, and then I guess third team is maybe maybe the other thing is just to see who we've all voted for. I had here I go stretching the rules of stretching the the, the limits of games played. Kyrie, uh, then I had Oladipo. Probably feel guilty for him putting in the third team. Kyrie, Oladipo, um, Paul George, uh, Horford, and Jokic. And you had Kyrie, DeRozan, Jokic, KD, and Embiid. Okay. So yeah, I wasn't I left, impressed I by the Paul George. I, I, I wasn't as impressed with Paul George this year as what others seemed to have been. Maybe I just, the overall, I didn't have any OKC players in any of the teams. Maybe just, that's probably a bit harsh. They ended up as number four seed. But they just, at no stage, did I feel impressed. Probably Stephen Adams was the only guy that impressed me, and he's obviously not pushing for one of these teams and Robeson before he got injured. But I, I just didn't quite get the Paul George. I mean, he didn't shoot the ball that well. His defense was very good at different times, but I just I didn't feel like he played as well as what they probably hoped he would have uh, when he came into the team. Not yeah, like shot that well from three. I mean, he hit forty percent from downtown this year, right? On so that was a, that was a huge part. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, he didn't have I guess the I guess the raw field goal percentage and the scoring was down, but it's going to happen. Play next to Russ. That's going to happen. I guess this for me, Paul George was a. It's a he's definitely one of the fifteen best players and he played seventy nine games and that team did pretty well in spite of you know I think is is it fair to say here's a good here's an interesting question. Who fits better next to Russ, him or K D? Well, I think K D because we saw we saw it work with K D, I guess. I think theoretically I like the fit of Paul George. I think maybe too adding Mellow upset that balance. I would have liked to have seen yeah. this team without Melo there and then see how they gelled because it may be a two-man, a two-headed monster on the offensive end where you're just going your turn, my turn. But the way it went this year was it was your turn, his turn, his turn, and then back to my turn. And then if Russ felt like it again, he'll take another turn. Then maybe Melo would shoot one. And, you know, there was just too many games where poor George is sitting out in the corner just... You know, maybe getting the ball, maybe yeah. not. So the, the, that was sort of. I, I think the mellow trade really went went against the whole team. I think it's interesting. You didn't have any Raptors in any of the three teams, despite them being the number one seed. So I had to put the Rose in. I had to put KD in as well. I think what, at least one Warrior had to get in. He did have a good season, even though he he gave everyone the shits for quite a bit of the season. Um, well, that's that's what I actually wanted to talk about, Rex. Right? I go, you know, Paul George. You know, had a you know, it's not the easiest thing, right, to get plugged into to Russell Westbrook. Um, KD would attest to that. And yeah, I, I guess you know, raw numbers. Um, you know, Paul George didn't you know exactly you know have you know didn't have a career year. Um, but I, I guess I guess part of this was a part 
actually protest a vote. I'll label it that, but also, I guess attitude matters is what I'd like to say. And personality matters and leadership matters. And, and what KD has done this year with his just incessant bickering on social media, um, his going on, you know, quote unquote drunk, you know, drunk chat with Bill Simmons has no problem going on the record with that stuff and, and getting it broadcast. His five ejections this six, year, six, right? Six ejections he hit. That's right. The 16 technical fouls, the just embarrassment he was in putting his teammates, you know, putting his teammates last, putting Kerr in awkward positions. The, I mentioned before, the one that jumped out at me was the one where he literally stopped play whilst his team had the ball so he could complain to the refs about a non-call to basically disrupt the play, lose the ball, and just, just a completely brain-snapping during live play while your team has the ball just tells me something about the, the fragility. And I go, that matters. That matters. So the fact that he had four more points a game than Paul George, I go, that makes up for, for my perspective. He missed a few games himself, right? And so that for me is the, um, I guess, on sheer numbers and the fact that, you know, Golden State did win. They won 60 games again this year, didn't they? Did they win 60? Uh, 58. Well, yeah, close, close. Um, look, Golden State probably deserved a, a player, but I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. Well, you had Curry. You I couldn't write his Curry. name down. At least had one. Well, I had Curry up in the second team, yeah. Then I go, man, with the way the way Horford and as, as low IQ as Denver has become, Jokic was scintillating. Um, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm pleased to see you saw it. He was on your third team as well. And then DeRozan, I, I think DeRozan is a worthy vote. I guess that probably for me, that might, might be more convinced of an argument of DeRozan over Paul George than KD, to be honest with you, because of what he's had to do this year. And to his credit, he's changed his game. He's changed his game a bit. He's playing less and shooting less and taking more threes. And it looks like he got coached this year. So, yeah, I felt, probably feel bad about leaving DeRozan off a little bit, but... This was not. This was a hard year to, to vote because of all the injuries. Yeah, I mean, I, with Paul George, I think I probably just it might have been one of those things where I saw the games where he wasn't as engaged and or wasn't as involved in the play. So I'm sure there's been a lot of games where I haven't seen that he has been putting up the numbers as well. So sometimes you're a little bit of a victim of of what you've seen through the season. And to your point. Yeah, uh, with with how competitive it is, and you're sort of tossing up between a, a Kevin Durant and a Paul George, or a DeRozan and an Oladipo, or something like that. It, it gets very, very difficult, and you got to split hairs. So they're all worthy players. There's no doubt about that. And there's a, there's a few we've sort of left off. You know, the likes of Kyle Lowry's had another very good year in Toronto, and I of course left off Paul George. Uh, we both left off Melo, which was obviously a tough tough cut for us as well. So. Um, we might go, Daz. Oh, no, she didn't even respond to that last one. So we might go, Daz, to uh, Rookie <laughs> of the Year now. So we've we've disagreed on this one as well. I don't think we'll get quite the same level of um, debate that we did with no. the MVP because it, it's. I guess it's a little bit of a. And, and I have heard this argument with, with Simmons versus Mitchell, where people are saying, "Well, look, Simmons is." He is a rookie in terms of his first season playing, but he did get that little added advantage of being uh, on the team 
last year, even though he didn't play. And it was a funny moment when Mitchell walked to the game. I don't know if you saw this, Daz, the other day with a, a shirt that Adidas had given him, which said had the definition of rookie on the shirt. And he just sort of walked in with a with a wry smile on his face. It was face. beautiful. So that was a good moment. And they've had a little bit of back and forth because Simmons was asked, you know, who should win Rookie of the Year? He said, me. Has anyone else impressed you? And he said, no. And I think they, they were particularly talking about Donovan Mitchell. So there's been a little bit of a you know, good-hearted back and forth between the two. So you've gone with Donovan Mitchell in the end. We both had Tatum third. I went with Simmons. It's a bit un-Australian not to go for Ben Simmons at this point. Uh, ben Simmons first, Mitchell second. But look, I think you've got to be comfortable whichever way this goes, but I get the sense that Simmons has probably just ducked his head in front, particularly with Philly getting that three seed and and the way he played after Embiid went down at the end of the season. There's no doubt Mitchell will get more votes for Rookie of the Year and LeBron will get for MVP. I have no yep. doubt about that. Um, and it's not just because of the, you know, Simmons who has been a paid professional by the Philadelphia 76ers for two seasons now. Like that's inarguable. So it's just, but again, you can't, you're allowed to vote for him. So I can completely understand voting for him. He's a, he is a special talent, albeit one. So I guess the the two holes I was poking is, yep, he's had himself a, it's probably three little holes, I guess, for for Simmons. And this is, this is hair splitting. These two are, again, head and shoulders above even Tatum, who's had a nice season. So it's, it's hair splitting, to be honest with you. And I, I don't, I don't denigrate anyone actually voting for Simmons, probably less so than than Harden, to be honest with you. But um, look, the obvious, he's got a massive, massive hole in his game, and he's seemingly um, even probably a couple of years ahead of Giannis in figuring out how to overcome it with angles and, and the ways to attack and just use of his body and timing and the use of space and his otherworldly passing skills. So it's a he's got a gigantic hole in his game, and if he gets anything remotely looking like a a, a shot, an outside shot, you know, probably similar to Giannis. You know, Giannis has a functional, you know, 30, 31% three-point shot and a functional, you know, sort of fadeaway game. It's functional. It's by no means, you know, not even all-star level um, as a skill, let alone elite. But, you know, if he gets that, he will be special. So the hole in this game, the fact he's quote-unquote not a, not a rookie and – just the, again, kind of degree of difficulty to what Mitchell has been asked to do as a kid who just came out of college, what he's been asked to do on that team, right, to literally lead it in scoring, be the initiator, be the playmaker, create the tempo. He's had the ball in his hands a lot, right? He was kind of a combo two, um, two three at Louisville in college. Now he's, you know, he, he runs the point when, when Rubio's not on the floor, so, so the scoring ability, um, he's a he's the leader of that team. Now, granted, that team is built around Rudy, um, and and a bit of its narrative. It's a bit out of the out of nowhere, a little bit of feel good. I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's a feel good feel good story. And um, yeah, it's a hair splitting though. I don't lose. I won't have any pushback if you, you confidently vote for Simmons. I, it's hard to argue because he is fucking fun to watch. He's a he's a beast. He is a physical specimen. He is everything since day one, the whole season. You've heard me say it a dozen times, uh, and I think we've seen it a little bit here since Embiid, um, you know, broke his face on on um, Fultz's Fultz's shoulder. Is yeah, Simmons has had a bigger imprint the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? Mm. Where he's you know taken a bit more, uh, 
it's his his temperament and his style of play less so than Embiid's, and that's been fun to watch, even though it's been against you know sixteen consecutive tanking teams. Um, so super exciting for Philly, and he will win the award. I'm pretty confident, and deservedly so, deservedly so. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna barrack too hard about this. And I like Mitchell by by a hair, just on what he's been asked to do, and um, don't don't denigrate Simmons at all. Yeah, no, it's, it's all due respect to, Ma- uh, to Malcolm Brogdon. It is a shame that Simmons didn't play last year, and he would yeah, have given it to Simmons last year and let Mitchell have it this year uh, because Mitchell's, but you know, he's one of my favourite players in the NBA at the moment, if not my favourite to watch. I think him and Oladipo have been the guys that I've really enjoyed watching this year, uh, the way they've gone about it. But Mitchell just been such a breath of fresh air in Utah, who I was high on before the season but did not see this coming uh, from them. But Simmons has been magnificent as well. And just watch him in the last these, these games when Embiid went down, particularly that game against Cleveland, we went head to head with LeBron. Uh, this this guy is a special talent, and if he can develop that jump shot, look, he may not even need to develop the jump shot. He's that good that he can maybe play the rest of his career and still it's he's going to be a wonderful player whether he starts hitting threes or not. But by gee, if he can start hitting those outside jumpers. He's going to be something else. So it's he's great... like half LeBron, half Giannis, isn't he? He's got the body of LeBron, but the hole in his game, like Giannis had, and he'll, man, he's 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 through. He's almost the, literally half half of each of those guys. And at this age, he's got the right. He's literally probably two years of development ahead of Giannis. How old is Simmons? He's twenty one. In one year of college, yeah, he's twenty one, twenty two. Is he? Is he? Yeah, yeah. But um, so we have both had Tatum number three. I'm just now curious, who would you if who if you do your all rookie team? So let's say you had Mitchell Simmons and Tatum, who would have completed your all? Oh, we had the all rookie team. Never mind. But let's go. Let's get. <laughs> I, think we, we've got I forgot the that we did team. it. I forgot that we did it. So, <laughs> so um, we'll go down. I had uh, I had Darren Fox as the guard, and I had Jared Allen. I think you had John Collins ahead. Oh, of, that's um, right. Of Jared Allen. Because you have to do positions. Yeah, sorry, I was going to go out. You know, <laughs> if it was Kuzma, a top five, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Would you have voted Kuzma as your number four rookie of the year behind no, Tatum? Kuzma was no? a bit up and down to me. Kuzma was a bit yeah. too far up and down. Okay, um, okay. The guy's game I liked was marking it. That, that was the guy that sort of jumped out at me. Um, he faded, though, too. He a did lot fade of a bit. He, he sort of hit the rookie yeah. wall a bit. But uh, he, in terms of the, just the games I liked, and Josh Jackson finished the season off really well. Uh, no one was watching Phoenix by that stage, and rightfully so. But uh, he, he had a really nice finish to the season. I, don't think, I wouldn't have been putting him right up there in the top five players or anything like that, but at least there were some positive signs there coming out of, um, of Phoenix. Yeah, Kuzma, I just thought it was a very inconsistent season. Some nights he'd bring it, some nights he wouldn't, but certainly a pleasant yeah. surprise for the Lakers, given where they drafted him. Yeah, maybe it's a disservice to marketing, considering, again, you know, a lot of empty calories in Chicago, but still he's had a fine... He aver- I didn't, can't believe it, 15 points a game he's averaged this year. Mm. I didn't know it was that high. Yep. No, he and he looked like a grown man out there. He was. Uh, we said. We said that. He had some aggression. Yeah, didn't yeah. he? I liked it. So let's move on to another really interesting one, Daz. And you said before we come on there, you changed your mind on this one. So I'm, I'm interested <sighs> to see what you've changed your mind to. I'll quickly give you my my top three. Um, I had Brad Stevens number one. I think just what he was able to do in Boston was quite phenomenal. 
get into two seed, 50 wins, the amount of turmoil that that team went through, and every single night they bought it. Um, you know, you had you had Aaron Bain scoring 26 points in the win the other night. Like that, that's just the sort of team that, and I can appreciate that having seen in San Antonio for so many years. Just doesn't matter what team goes out on the court, they're going to play really well. And and there's no better in-game coach in the NBA at the moment than Brad Stevens. If they call a timeout when they come into the timeout, you know they're getting a wide-open shot every single time. So when he's just a guy that gets the best out of his players. To me, he was the number one, but gee, it was such a tough... There were so many good coaching jobs this year. I did have Casey two, Snyder three, but you could have had McMillan, you could have had Stotts, you could have had Pop, you could have had D'Antoni. I mean, there's, there's, and there's probably a number of guys that I'm missing out of that. Brett Brown, I think, probably got himself into the conversation at the end there, just getting Philly up to the three seed and 50 wins. Yeah, I guess the only... Co- the only- I guess sort of pushback there is that you talk about his X's and O's and coming out of timeouts. They go that there are 29 coaches in the league who get open shots against the Bucks coming out of timeouts. <laughs> there's there's so much ordinary defense, you know, like the scoring is a way up. But I, I get your point, though, right? Um, and I, I was I had Stevens as my vote um, probably a few days ago, and then I stopped and thought about it, and again listened to some more arguments particularly Arnovitz and Lowe, and I stopped and reminded myself, and I looked at the standings. Now, Boston didn't even win its division. They're four games behind the Raptors. The Raptors, they literally doubled, more than doubled Boston's point differential. And the fact that they, they too, right, I would have, we would have, the world would have been looking at Dwayne Casey with, when they, uh, when the front office brought the band back together, right, re-upped with DeRozan, re-upped with Lowry, paid him what they paid him, you know, re-upped with, you know, um, uh, Abaka was signed. But, uh, right, they brought the band back together where we thought, man, would they have to blow it up after they limped over the finish line against the Bucks and again unceremoniously exited. And there was everyone questioning, everyone was questioning Dwayne Casey, weren't they? And that core and what's the point and, and, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, Toronto. For them to change, for the way he's gotten DeRozan to modify his game, the way he's changed Lowry's usage, the way he's developed a freaking devastating bench where he could go almost the sixth man of the year award, which would be funny, right? It'll be, you know, Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, and then three of the Raptors could get sixth man of the year sort of stuff, right? The way Freddie VV and Siakam in particular, Pirtle, et cetera, have played. So the combination of things, right, to change your stars and how they've played and how they've been used, to change, you know, his philosophy, to have a lot more adaptive and more attacking different offenses, and then go much deeper into his bench and develop that bench to be a true, true weapon. Um, I just, I'm tipping my hat for just perhaps so grossly exceeding expectation and completely flipping the narrative where, right, the, I remember vividly, right, because I watched it through the Bucks' eyes. The punditry was ready to go, boys, Dwayne Casey on a hot seat this year, right? We were going to put him on a hot seat with Jay Kidd and, and Hornacek and Hoiberg if, if stuff faltered. And well, Masai Jerry put him on the hot seat because he was the one that said we need right. to change. That's right, of course, of course. And so under pressure and then to do it, you know, confidently under pressure. So I've, you know, they finished four games ahead of Boston 
and I'm going to pick, you know, pick one of your arguments of James Harden. Part of the reason Harden will win MVPs is on the best team in the league. Well, guess what? Toronto was the best team in, in the in the conference by a long shot, and certainly far ahead of Boston. More than even, I guess, more than the four games indicate their their point differential is mm. out of this world compared to Boston. So Stevens scintillating scintillating coach who has done again high degree of difficulty with all the turnover and the rookies playing and just the way he gets guys like Rozier and freaking Shane Larkin to produce it is it is wonderful right and it's again not a slight this is perhaps a little bit as a, a tip to how Casey has won the division and changed his stripes a little bit um, but it's a, I also sort of go it's one of those awards where fuck Stevens is going to be like Pop. Stevens is going to win this award five more times in the next 20 years. So um, i got to say a little bit a narrative for me seeped into my my flopping, uh, flipping, uh, flipping and flopping at the end, putting KC1. And um, again, coin flip between Quinn Snyder as well. We've, he was also in your top three. And we've talked a lot about Utah already. But man, to lose Gordon Hayward, to be devastated like that, to take on a really – complicated player like Rubio and I mean complicated in that he's got a very very specific game with very specific limitations same thing with Gobert has a very specific game with very specific limitations to take two of your I guess your starters and your stars who have very very clear limitations about them and to get that team to perform around it oh by the way had a major trade at the deadline as well shipping out Rodney Hood and um and finding ways to get Derek Favors and Gobert to play together and getting a rookie like Mitchell to do it, a scintillating coaching job by by Snyder. So it is Casey by the slimmest of hairs, Snyder by the slimmest of hairs, and Stevens, I, I, I hope they finish one, two, three in some order. Yeah, I'd like to see Dwayne Casey get it too because I'm sure Brad Stevens has got uh... – is going to be winning some coaches of the year uh, in the future. But uh, I had him just a tick ahead of Casey and Snyder in third. So let's move on. The next one is the six-man award. I didn't even bother with this. It's a, it's a meaningless award to me. It was pretty close, though. Uh, well, pretty clear, I should say. Lou Williams uh, was going to get that award. Eric Gordon had a nice season as well. I saw you had him in, in second spot. Yep. But uh, this is all about Lou Williams, and he'll he'll walk away. With that award, deservedly so, but it's not one that uh, I ever have a lot of interest in unless Manu Ginobili is in the conversation. So we'll, unless you have something else to add there, Daz, we'll, we'll move on. No, to it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's meaningful to those teams and to those guys, but yeah, this is, a, this is not an award you remember. No. no. Uh, Rudy Gobert was our defensive player of the year. He ended up playing in enough games. I think there was sort of a bit of a, a call whether he played enough games or not. Um, Embiid, I've sort of moved Embiid up. I think Embiid is second after hearing some of the arguments. It was a sort of a toss of the coin for some of the people that I've heard about with this with this one. I've, I've just gone in a total homer pick for number three, LaMarcus Aldridge, I just think what the Spurs were able to do with such a limited defensive roster and Danny Green missing time, basically playing Dejounte Murray, big minutes, who has played well on defence. For him to, 
to anchor that defence the way he did and to be the second best defence in the league, I think he needs a big tick. I think they end up third best defence, but he needs a big tick there. But you went with Al Horford. He was, and I guess a similar argument to LMA in the sense that he's the anchor of a very good team defence. But we've both gone with um, with uh, Gobert as the clear defensive player of the year in our opinion. Well, yeah, it's all big men. And I, I hard to argue against LMA. It's, it's amazing not going to like the comparison, but he's like the modern Zaza on defense where he's so head-footed and so, uh, you know, he's not quite lateral the way Horford, right, and is otherworldly with his lateral quickness and his ability to, to, you know, to go into um, help zones and defense. But the, just the positioning of him, to be fair, he's just always in the right spot. That's why I call him. He's like a Zaza where he's always in the right spot. And this is, am I in any danger? This seems to be bonding team better years past this year. I, mean, I might Oh, be, no, he's definitely... I'm completely better. making he, it up on the fly. He's just... He, I, I, he has just gobbled up everything near the rim. And as I said, there's times when he throws up his own shot and then grabs it on the other side of the board and you oh, think, how did he, how did he get know. over there to what get that dickhead. board? dickhead, I know. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, his rebounding, his, it was, yeah, I go, it was, you know, he used to, I remember he used to be a 20 and 10 guy. It's, look, it's up to, definitely up from last year, it was 7.3, and it's up to, you know, 8.5 this year. It feels like it's higher than that, but I think he's had a good re- defensive rebounding season as well. So, hard to argue against LMA. That's interesting, I guess, more, it, so, Gobert, Orford, Embiid, LMA, LMA would be on number four as well. So, he's, he's definitely up there, but what's what's interesting about this list, right, there's no more, there's no wing defenders, um, and again, maybe if Chris Paul played a little more, played you know more more minutes and more time, maybe he would have been in the conversation again. Draymond had a terrible year, and what happened to our three and D guys? You know, Middleton used to be a defender, and he's fallen off. Covington, I guess, probably had a pretty good season by a lot of the metrics, and you know, the super nerds would say he'd have a great season, but he's not making the conversation. So it's just interesting, right, that the. The best defenders seem to be all big men this year. Well, Roberson was probably out. the best wing defender, but he's, not, yeah, he's he a hurt. brick and D. <laughs> that's, that's right. He's just and D. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. no and. <laughs> brick and D, that's right. Brick and so, D. So, uh, yeah, uh, no, this is, probably that's a maybe an off-season conversation is that, you know, is the, you know, it's a threat, you know. Harden has never really defended. Suddenly, he's surrounded by great defenders. Ooh, he's a good defender. Suddenly, surprise, surprise. When all your all your teammates are great defenders, you too look like a good defender, right? The fucking Milwaukee Bucks finished number one in the league three years ago with OJ Mayo and you know Ursan Yudyasova and, and Zaza, etc. So um, it's interesting to see what what's what's happening to the wing defense in the league. Is it is that changing? Is it harder? Is the pick and roll stuff? actually a lot harder than, you know, defending these actions and defending the handoffs. Is it just a lot harder, right? And is that perhaps why, you know, and it's so high volume now, so high volume now, is that why, you know, individual stats aren't the way they are? Is it, you know, the energy level it takes to chase guys around the perimeter obviously is so much harder than standing and leaning up against, you know, Cat or Boogie or whomever in, in the lane. So, Part of me theorizes it's just a lot harder job to be a wing defender 
than it was, say, 10 years ago. And so perhaps that's why they're... Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? What's physically harder, today's game where you're running up and down the court so much more and it's so much faster, or going back to the sort of 80s and 90s where it was no layup rules and you're getting pounded every time down the court? Um, I think, I guess game to game, it's probably harder, the the speed, but in terms of having a longer career, it's much harder from the 80s and 90s, combined with obviously the advances in sports science, etc. It'd be interesting to hear what the players say, Um, but I think, right, I think the, um, uh, what's it, Um, sports view, right, the sports view data, is the players just running, right? There's more possessions, there's more pace, and right now more distance to cover right? because of the proliferation of the three-point shot, right? Your perimeter defenders are having to cover a lot more ground a lot more frequently and exerting a lot more effort. So they're exhausted, right? So I think that's what I would I reckon is much easier to get exhausted when you're out there defending Curry and, and Harden, et cetera. Um, it's easier to get beat up, you know, in, in the 2000s and have bruises and, you know, hurt your hip or something, you know, getting pounded to the floor. But um, fatigue, right? They're fatiguing a lot, I think, a lot more uh, a lot more than, than in years past. Mm. That's why all the rest, uh, the rest is such a big deal now. The sports again, they're running further than they've ever run before. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's like in one off-season conversation. It's just interesting. It just came to me that our our DPO and there's no wing defenders anywhere. So just just interesting that in their absence, basically. Yeah, I think with Robeson and, and Kawhi missing so much time, uh, that that changes that debate and, yeah. and Green sort of yeah. falling away the way he has. So let's uh, last couple of quick awards. They to me very easy ones. Most improved. Another award that I'm not that fussed on, but I am happy this year because it's one of my favourite players, Victor Oladipo, will clearly win it. As you said, it's daylight second, not even any point talking about number two because it was Oladipo and then no one, really. 100%. He's relating to go from... Boy, how bad does the Orlando Magic look now? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, can you... They are getting close to Sacramento. what they did to shape out to get well, am I to get five minutes to Baca, right? That was the trade. Yeah. Am I crazy? Yeah, that's right. Mm. And now he's all NBA, most improved and an absolute franchise cornerstone. <laughs> Which is what they thought Oops, they had with him. Trade. And then, then sort of panicked yeah. and, and went away from it. So you've got to have patience with the, some of those guys too, I think, Daz, and give them the opportunity to succeed. And I don't think they did that. You know, they took the ball out of his hands and gave it to Alfred Payton. So that, that's the sort of decisions that can change a franchise. Like, you've got to see what you've got with some of these guys. And um, the, Orlando clearly didn't. They, didn't. they didn't have enough faith in him. Uh, and, you know, partnering with Payton was well. not a good move. And uh, we're seeing where it, where it's ended up. So uh, they're in a they're in and a the list way. and the list grows. Dion Waiters, Nez Cantor, Kevin Durant, Victor Oladipo, right? Players who leave Russell Westbrook and thrive. <laughs> <laughs> that list is growing. Yeah, well, and Oladipo is now the cover child. And uh, cover cam- ch- well, you forgot campaign as well. Campaign thriving in his <laughs> you know eleventh. 
11th on the depth chart in the point guard in, in Chicago. Yes. Dear me. Yes, all, all Depot's most improved, well-deserved, no contest. Next. Who the last, last one is the last Executive one? of the Year, and that was uh, Daryl Morey. To me in the landslide, some people have said um, that uh, Danny Ainge deserves some, some credit there, but I wasn't as, as impressed with what Danny Ainge did as what I thought Daryl Morey. What, what Daryl Morey did with not only the Chris Paul trade and the way he put that together, but the way he filled this roster out with with players that, to me, were anti-Dantoni players, to, to have faith in that, and then, I guess, for Dantoni, the buy-in as well uh, to this team and the way they've gone, it's just been absolutely... It's been a perfect roster construction, in my view, given the, the, the play, given the, the assets that he had the builder in. The only, the only problem's been, I guess, that, that Ryan Anderson contract is still a little bit of an albatross, but apart from that, it's pretty much a perfectly constructed roster. Yep, Anderson's a sucky deal. Um, it's no Chandler Parsons or Lou Aldang. You know, it's bad, but it's not. It's not catastrophic. Yeah. And yeah, I think we talked about it in the off season. The if you can surround James Harden in that offense, a D'Antoni offense with great wing defenders, that you're gonna have a whole team, and that's exactly what he did. And kudos to Luke Richard and to. And to P.J. Tucker, right, for staying, well, up until last week, Luke Richard dislocates a freaking shoulder in a meaningless game. Man, you hope that doesn't come back to haunt them. He's been he's been spectacular this year. But, uh, yeah, Maury pulled all the right strings. And uh, I don't know where this the aim stuff comes from. I mean, yeah, okay, well, trade, I guess the turned over 10. Signing Haywood and the, the trade for Tatum and the signing of Haywood and obviously getting Kyrie, yeah. which you know he won, he yeah. certainly won the Kyrie trade. Haywood I'm, hasn't done I'm, anything yet. I'm not willing yeah, not to say fault, he's won but... the Tatum trade just yet. Um, and then he, um, but I guess to get a first round pick in addition to getting Tatum and Haywood, well, I mean you know you've got to sign a free agent of that caliber when he's available, and and you can't well, he... mark him badly for him breaking his ankle. His best friend's a coach. I mean, it's like, you know, okay, good on you, Danny Ainge, for you still give him credit for hiring Brad Stevens five years ago, and that's why they got. <laughs> no, really, that's why he got Gordon Hayward. Well, so, that's yeah, fair enough. That's it wasn't an executive enough. move. It's you know, okay, he had the cap space to do it, so that's that's good. And Danny Ainge is a fine executive, but yeah, this for me isn't close, and I, I don't know where that. No, I agree. I don't give fucking you... Rob Hennigan more credit. Honestly, who had a harder job this year? Danny Ainge's got, you know, full of fucking first-round draft picks, and Kyrie falls into his lap, and, you know, Gordon Hayward comes knocking on his door. Okay, well done. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. But, you know, look what bloody Indiana's done with, with far less, right? And they, what, how many more games did Boston win than Indiana? Let's look at the schedule. Two? Mm. Three? Uh, so I go, yeah, that sounds like it's ringer narrative, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm telling you, I've heard it from more than one source. They're the two names yeah. that have been brought up, but I think Maury will win Executive of the Year, and deservedly so. so yeah, you, deservedly so. You brought yeah. up Ron Henning, and the last little bit of news, days before we break part one and, and move on to the playoff previews, um, a couple of coaches fired. So Rob, Rob Hennigan's fired Frank Vogel. Um, I've spoken to you in the past. I, I think Frank Vogel's a great fit in Milwaukee. 
let's wait and see, has his stock been hurt badly by the the tyre fire that was the Orlando Magic the last couple of years? I don't think it should be, but um, we'll see if that's the case. And Jeff Hornacek, I think he was a bit, bit roughly done by as well to be sacked in New York, but they're looking to move on as well after a couple of disappointing seasons. But uh, given that Hornacek had his hands tied behind his back for most of his tenure with Phil Jackson there, um, I thought that was a little bit harsh, and they did show signs before Zinger went down. But your, your thoughts on those, and I guess there's there's now, what are, what are, what are we looking at, five uh, different franchises um, uh, looking for coaches uh, for next season? Did I say Rob Hennigan? Is that what I was saying about Indiana? Oh, sorry, not Rob Hennigan. Um, uh, the, the guy from Milwaukee in, in Orlando. Yeah, that's um, Weltman and Hammond. Yeah, Hammond. Yeah. But I think I did say Hennigan, which is a total yeah, yeah, Rob, misstatement. Rob it's uh, Buchanan, I think, is the... Is it Buchanan? Anyway, mm. Indiana's GM um, deserves a credit, not Rob Pritchard. Not Rob Hannigan. Pritchard. Wasn't he the exec? Anyway, <laughs> kudos to Indiana. Their executive team should be top two or top three this year. But um, yes, the coaching carousel begins. Um, so Hornacek got dumped. Vogel got dumped. Did anyone else lose their job? Was it just those two? No, yeah, just just those two. There is a review going on about SVG in Detroit, so he's obviously on hot seat there. Um, yeah. The, the the general consensus is he will probably stay, and they'll give him one more season, but that will be his well potentially his last season. So at this stage, you've got Memphis, who really who wants that job at the moment? Um, Memphis, Milwaukee. Uh, Phoenix. And probably Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix, Orlando. Well, Assuming Triano doesn't get the job in Phoenix, but uh, Orlando and New York. Yeah, it looks it'll be interesting, especially from a um, if I think New York and Orlando is going to start looking immediately. Not look, it reckons to be a pretty deep um, coaching pool um, for these jobs. And the teams are probably looking for for different. Probably something quite different, right? If you're Orlando, you got yourself a long, a long rebuilding process ahead of you. So you're going to want yourself, you know, your your Brett Brown type of coach who can, you know, ideally someone who can endure, you know, build a culture, build a system, um, create a winning sort of attitude, team first attitude in a place where, you know, teaching and development is prioritized. New Yorker is always going to have that pressure where it's just someone's going to have to be a lot more. Right, media savvy and management savvy, and just into the po- the politics of you know bigger organizations and everything with the you know Madison Square Garden trusts and and the rest of it. So probably a completely different type. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe Mills and Perry are different. Maybe they are. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I guess even you know before Zinger blew out his knee, probably still a pretty attractive job in New York, right? Hard to say not attractive. They don't have a ton of talent on the roster besides Zinger, but, you know, they they will spend. Dolan well, I think they've spend. got unrealistic expectations. I mean, what did they expect well, Kornacek was going to do with that roster? Did they really think he, he should have won more games? I just view, I didn't, I view the Hornacek riding the year out as, it's similar to the Jason Kidd. It was the, we probably know this guy should be gone, but we've had so much change, um, you know, in the front office. Let's keep some stability and give the guy a chance. Yeah. I, I, I think it was more of that than it was the, uh, than, 
than setting expectations does, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was just more of that case. He was probably gone the instant, you know, that, that Phil was gone. In, so um, so I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not so concerned about that part, and I don't think it was unfair. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to lose any sleep. He was a Phil. He was a Phil hire, right? So, um, but yeah, pretty pretty attractive job, I'd say, compared to years past. Now that Phil's gone... Um, yeah, I'd still prefer you know. the Phoenix job, to be honest. I mean, Phoenix could have three first-round picks this year, and at least there's some talent on that roster to build around, whereas New York, it's Zinger but different, coming different, back from different a... Different job description. Very different job description, right? That's what I'm saying. Is that you've got... You got the New York job description is, you know, deal with the pressure, deal with the press, deal with all the men and all the politics and MSG stuff. And you, just, you have a lot more management to do in New York. Mm, Whereas Phoenix would be point. all about, you know, fuck their third year and Devin Booker's still going to be 22 years old, right? So they be very, very young, very young, and no pressure, and uh, and a completely all over the place owner and and Sarver, right? With uh, God, I could you even name who the Phoenix G is. Um, is it Robert Sarver's really. the owner? Isn't Sarver the owner? He's yeah, the owner, right. He might as well he's be meddling, right? Well, so you're gonna. He's a meddling, that's right. where I think you start looking at. So the candidate pool for Orlando is probably a pretty broad one, because Weltman and Hammond have been around the NBA for so long. They got friends in probably twenty different, you know, twenty different cities. New York's probably a much more, you know, dare you say, you start opening up the Mark Jackson, the Jeff Van Gundy. The Rick Patino, you start looking at the, you know, the Flash, the management. Surely the, no one will hire Patino. Never say never, right? Jason Kidd, you know, who knows, right? Well, Kidd's been rumored for Phoenix. You know, Kidd lives and moves, moved out to Scottsdale, actually. That's another, you know, obviously played there for a number of years. So there's a Kidd connection to Phoenix. But the point was, you know, that very different job descriptions. So Orlando is... You know, young, modest expectations. You probably have to do roster rebuild. Phoenix has lots of young guys. Now let's create create something with three more first round draft picks, two or three more first rounders. That's a that's a babysitting job, right? That's a lot of parenting, teaching fundamentals in Phoenix. And then Milwaukee job's gonna be you've got two years basically to put in the system to make the most of a, you know, MVP top five talent. And before, before all the pressure falls on that franchise to, to you know, to make a decision about whether you can keep him or not. So, mm. very different job descriptions when you look at it. So, um, re- that's going to be fun. I guess it's probably more fun, probably as fun as the draft from where I sit. Is the that's going to have such enormous impact on these franchises, um, again, especially like the Bucks, who don't really have a, a high draft pick. Mm. And then Memphis, boy. What's that job description, right? It's like, is it is it write your own job description? It's a hey, what, what would you like to do? Would you like to blow this roster up or look? They're going to have Gasol and Conley back again for the seventy fifth year in a row, and they're going to be you know a step closer to their grave. So that's the. It's hard for me to see that job going to anyone but someone who's had NBA coaching experience. I mean, imagine trying to go in as a you know a, a first time coach. You know, working with the Gasol and a Conley, um, yeah, no, know that they'll city. go in there and they'll be trying to make the playoffs again next year. I don't think they'll get there, but yeah, they're yeah. certainly going to win a lot more games than they won this year once Mike Conley returns. So that feels like a you know a guy who's you know maybe had had a coaching career already, 
and wants another go at it, you know, like someone like a David Blatt might make sense in a team like Memphis where super skilled, great resume, you know, he's not a young, you know, young pup anymore. And so, you know, it's not like he needs to cut his teeth, but, you know, it could be something where they develop a really specific brand of basketball and they can win, win a bunch of games next year, you know, 100 to 96. And so, yeah, different job description there in Memphis as well. So it's interesting that they're all, You'd think that, oh, I was wondering, you know, are the Bucks going to be missing out a little bit here in the first wave of hiring by the teams who've missed the playoffs? And you think about that job description is probably quite different anyway. So, um, that's your own. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting times. And last year, remember, wasn't it last year we had no, zero no, coaches zero turned over? And we knew that there was going to be a regression to yeah. this year. To be honest, I thought there'd be even more than that. But then there may still be, I guess. Because I think Scott Brooks, they may review his job given uh, oh. the way that they've created at the end of Mark, the season. And as I said, they're looking at Malone. Um, Malone. Obviously, they'll look at him. They'll look at SVG. Um, look, anything. Look, if if this was Pops last season in San Antonio, it wouldn't shock me. Well, given the way Christy, things are going. Now that Rob Cho is out, you know, you could say. Um, Charlotte, right? Could be could be looking for a new a new cup shack. Yeah, that's right. Might, might be looking to make change and. Do something totally different with that roster. So there might so be a few. Yeah, there might be a few could more, be more changes to come. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. okay, Daz. Well, look. We'll, obviously, we'll be watching the coaching carousel as the off season rolls on. But we've got a post season to talk about. So we might we'll end uh, part one of episode forty eight there, and then we'll throw it over to part two where we break down the East and the West first round of the playoffs.